Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's January 16th. 1605, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. We Brits call it Don Quixote, which makes it sound like a cereal bar, but still, its significance is undiminished. I am referring, of course, to Miguel de Cervantes' El Ingenioso Hildalgo Don Quixote La Mancha. Sorry, Spaniards, I try my best. <laughs> Published today in history in 1605. Yeah, and I haven't read it, but you know what? That makes me no worse than the 80% of Spaniards who haven't read it either, because surveys suggest that although this is probably the best-known work in Spanish literature, only two out of ten Spaniards have read it cover to cover, and six out of ten say they've read some, presumably at school, under duress. (laughs) Yeah, I too haven't read it, I must uh, confess. What are we doing here, guys? (laughs) (laughs) We're not Cliff's notes. (laughs) We're talking about the day it was published. (laughs) Um, It is meant to be one of the most read books in history um so plenty of people have around for 400 years yeah it's had some time to do that work (laughs) but its genesis took a long time as well because Cervantes was actually a an aspiring writer for quite a lot of his life but he it took him a while to get around to doing writing he actually also had to do quite a lot of other day jobs to pay the bills as any aspiring or probably even practicing writer will know It it was the same story back in 1605. A bit more gun action. Though. Yeah, well, that's so he was a soldier, but um, he also, after being a soldier, his main uh, literary breakout job, if you will, was as a tax collector uh, for the Spanish government. But due to a bunch of uh, mathematical irregularities, which landed him in the crown jail of Seville twice, both in 1597 and 1602. And it was actually while he was behind bars that he is credited as having come up with a lot of the ideas for. Or, uh, Don Quixote. It's so weird that he was in jail twice and both times they just seem to have let him carry on being the tax collector again when he came out. <laughs> yeah. he was, oh, sorry about that. See you on Monday. <laughs> but it's so strange to think the fact that today in history when it, Don Quixote first appeared, he was 57 years old. He was a 57-year-old mm. civil servant with a hobby. Gives us all hope, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, quite. He'd written lots of plays and poems, but none of them had become successful. And they all fell into fairly recognisable genres of the, of the time. So he wrote sonnets, he wrote epic poems, he wrote farces for the stage. But Don Quixote seems to have struck a chord precisely because it was something that hadn't been seen before, specifically the way that it employed everyday language and realistic conversations in what was otherwise a very literary setting. So 1,750 copies were published initially. Actually, his, his follow-up, Exemplary Stories, was the one that everyone in Spain remembered in the 1600s. But the first part, at least, was 
successful enough that there were two Madrid editions and then two published in Lisbon and then there were others that followed in in Brussels, in Milan, and then the first English translation appeared in 1612. And by this stage, Cervantes really was a household name. The time it was taking for him to produce book two left room for a pretender to slip in with a fake part two before him. And apparently it was the the publication of this fake part two of Don Quixote that really motivated Cervantes to get round to finishing his own part two. Well, to be fair, it had been nine years since part one had appeared. He was worse than George R.R. <laughs> R. Martin, you know. People, apparently quite a common literary device at the time to be like, and I'll be back to share more adventures with you. But you didn't really have to do it. So mm. it seems like he didn't really, he wasn't really going to do it. Might be in the Back to the Future. Yeah, well, exactly. And then this guy using the pen name Alonso Fernandez de Avellaneda showed up with his new part two of Don Quixote. He was like, do you know what? I'll just do it. And that actually apparently was very popular. I mean, mm. the, the characters from part one were popular enough that they were being used as masquerade characters in celebrations to celebrate mm. the birth of the Spanish prince Philip IV. So they were familiar to the public and there was obviously an appetite to hear more of their adventures. And that's exactly what this volume offered. And this obviously spurred Cervantes to buck up significantly. And in part two, he actually incorporated the uh, the whole affair into the narrative in a way that feels really modern. I There's think a, so too. It's amazing. Is it so cool? It, Don Quixote comes across two men reading the fake sequel to Don Quixote. Yeah. And there's also a part where he's on his way to a joust in Zaragoza, but he changes his plans when he learns that there was an episode like this in the fake sequel. <laughs> it's brilliant. And he also then encounters some of the characters from the fake books. So you've got this real <laughs> melding of reality and fiction in a way that I agree is so contemporary. Well, you see, you're touching on all the things that make it special, though, because he'd created in Sancho and Quixote this kind of classic comedy duo who could be parodied and could be part of the masquerade. You know, fat and thin, a bit nutty and a bit grounded, urbane and country bumpkin. It's buddy movie stuff, right? Mm. So you've got these two characters that are endearing and they're funny and you want to spend time with them and you relate to them. It is Shrek, basically, 400 mm. years earlier, isn't it? Like, it's it's about chivalric literature mm. and is parodying chivalric literature and having its cake and eating it. So it's it's like, let's all laugh at the slightly ridiculous traditions of the stories we've been brought up with about knights, you know, yeah. exotic travel, adventure, the quick-moving plot, magic. But then you then receive all of those thrills directly. And a lot of it was inspired by the author's own life as well. So Cervantes had a really, you know, I I think maybe unfairly characterised him as kind of a grey middle-aged tax collector, but he had been through so much by Mm. this point in his life as well. So we we don't know that much about him because he was from a fairly obscure background. He was probably born in 1547 in Cordoba. He had six brothers and sisters. They spent their childhood moving around a lot. His father was pretty flaky and had a lot of debts, so they moved from place to place. And then he left Madrid age 21 after taking part in an illegal duel and fled to Rome and that's where he eventually ended up in the military when Spain entered the Ottoman Venetian War he got a friend to get him a commission and he ended up losing the use of his left arm during the Battle of Lepanto giving him the jaunty nickname El Manco de Lepanto the one-armed man of Lepanto and once he'd eventually recovered, he set off back to Spain with his brother Rodrigo. But their ship was intercepted by North African pirates. Both of the brothers were taken to Algiers and forced to work as slaves until they could be ransomed. That was a pretty common pastime uh, for Barbary pirates. 
two years later, the Cervantes family had raised enough money to free one brother, and they chose Rodrigo. Oh, no. man. Um, Miguel Cervantes would have to wait another three years until a Christian charitable order bought his freedom in 1580. But you can, you can feel that sense of an episodic adventure coming through the text, can't you? That, as you say, you'd had this colourful life and then put it into this book, which is so many things all at once. It's a fantasy, but it's also a story, and things happen all the time. And that mm. in itself is a comment about the benefit of recreational literature. This point in history, the church in Spain believed that prose should be the sole preserve of historical fact. Poetry is what you use to describe something fantastical or spiritual. Hmm. And so they weren't keen on the uh, chivalric romances. And then you have this, which is a parody of the chivalric romances. The joke is... Our hero has read too many of those books, so he's gone mad because he's reading fictional literature as if it's history. So it sort of feels like it's on the church's side. But really, the pleasure of all of these mad things happening to him is the thing that you like when you're reading it. And it flatters your ego and makes you feel clever. It's the Tom Stoppard thing, isn't it? Mm. People feel clever and literate because they get all the jokes because it's about books. You have to have read books to find it funny. And it aligns with his own personal history again. Famously, he didn't go to university, but picked up his skills as a writer just by reading prodigiously. So he's kind of, again, both you know, um, drawing upon and commenting on his own lived experience. I am a man who has read too many books. Here is my book. It's about a guy who goes nuts because he read too many books. And like Shakespeare, I mean, not on the same scale, but there are ideas that have entered the lexicon generally. People mm. don't even realise they're from Quixote. Tilting at windmills is the obvious one for attacking imaginary enemies, which is what Quixote does at one point in the book. Quixotic as a yes. word. People say without even thinking it's anything to do with Don Quixote, but that's what you're saying a person is. They're being like Don Quixote if they're being Quixotic. I thought that was so interesting thinking about like when we encountered the word mesmerism, which came from mesmer. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, yes, yeah, of yeah. course, quixotic. I mean, you'd think with such a heritage that there would be a definitive film version by now, but there isn't. There's Terry Gilliam's Mad One, which everyone knows took 25 years to bring to the screen and then was finally achieved in 2018 and was basically a bit disappointing. But I didn't realise that it wasn't just Terry Gilliam that had spent his life trying to adapt <laughs> Uh, Don Quixote for American Mm. screens. Orson Welles worked on a version from the mid-1950s until his death in 1985, never finished it. And Disney tried four times over the course of 80 years and still haven't done it. Yeah, I think it's so easy to see how this could be a really attractive mirage because it's Mm. got everything. It's got, as you said, kind of archetypal characters, easy to understand. It's got kind of a modern framing of where you've got the sort of buddy comedy thing going on. And it's got everything in it, like everything that can happen to people happens within the book. But I think that is the downfall, isn't it? It's like, what episodes do you pick and how do you string them together in order to make some kind of point? It does feel like one that they should hand to Dennis Villeneuve because, you know, like Dune famously couldn't be turned into a movie and then he just went ahead and did it. I bet he could do a great Don Quixote there. Timothy Chalamet to play the windmill. (laughs) Tomorrow. It was recognised with treaties, including with the United States of America. It had its own royal family. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.